0: It's the American dream, entrepreneurs across the country starting their own business. It's the biggest job creation vehicle the nation has ever seen.
1: Small businesses are credited for two-thirds of all U.S. jobs over the past decade. These companies came into the year with a head full of steam. Then the coronavirus hit, and the momentum just stopped.
2: A full 40% of small businesses do not think they're going to survive. There
3: are just a lot of smaller businesses that will struggle to make it through this
4: winter. It's all local small businesses. That's who is bearing the brunt of
5: this. We just don't know how long we might be able to stay afloat. Everybody's going to be out of work, and I'm just going to be deeper in
6: debt.
7: It's been very, very sad for our family, for our staff.
6: You know, the government programs were designed to bail out the big boys, but they left Main Street behind.
0: Since the start of the pandemic, we spoke to more than 100 business owners across the country. Many shut their doors, some survived, some adapted.
1: And some suffered personal tragedies while trying to keep their business afloat. This is their story. Thanks for joining us on this Bloomberg Radio Special Report, examining the pandemic's outsized impact on small business. I'm Shanali Basak.
0: And I'm John Tucker. It's been nine months since lockdowns hit much of the country, and doors have reopened at a number of storefronts.
1: But still, two out of every five small businesses tell Goldman Sachs they're not sure if they'll survive. And 10 million people remain unemployed.
0: We spoke to business owners across the country about their troubles, and there have been many. But perhaps the worst of those struggles is the personal tragedies that were endured.
1: David Carberry runs a digital marketing firm headquartered in Baltimore. When the pandemic hit, his sales were nearly cut in half. And then his father caught COVID while going to the hospital for a simple procedure.
3: It was in April. My dad had just had surgery in March and we had to put him into a a unit just for physical therapy. Um, He had gallbladder replacement. And we then we weren't allowed to see him and the facility caught COVID and he did. They, they took him to the hospital and he was on a vent for a couple of weeks, but unfortunately lost him like in the beginning mm. of May. So it was pretty traumatic for us.
0: Then there's Lily Pacheco's, whose translation business also suffered from the onset of the pandemic shortly after her father fell ill and she couldn't be there
8: on um, April 16, my dad uh, was really, really sick. Um, he can hardly breathe. We um, called the ambulance. He didn't make it. He didn't make it. He already had passed on the couch. Um, so I witnessed all of this on um, video. Normally I would have been there in person, right? And, you know, we're stuck in quarantine and all I was able to do was
1: just watch from, from the video. So it was really hard. In so many cities across the country, there are hundreds of stories just like David's and Lily's. In their cases, personal tragedy coincided with business trouble. But more often, we've seen the business trouble turn into a different kind of tragedy. Employers having to shut the doors, laying off friends and family.
0: For John's Grill in San Francisco, this year was the worst in the restaurant's 112-year history. Open since 1908, owner John Constan is the latest in a long line of Constance to run the business. We spoke to him back in March. This is
7: my first experience with something this catastrophic. It's been very, very sad for our family, for our staff specifically. So I had to get the staff together and have that very, very tough conversation with them because most of, most of our staff has worked with us. For five years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years. So we have a long tenured staff. It was the saddest day of my professional career, I think. And we're all pretty much a family in there. Most of these guys have seen me grow up as a kid, you know? And so it was, uh, it was a really tough, tough time. We've got our staff on medical insurance until the end of April. And we will probably be one of the first restaurants to open our doors for patrons once COVID-19 is, is over.
0: John's Grill did reopen and added seating outdoors, but just this month it was forced to close again.
1: And underrepresented communities have shown to be some of the hardest hit in this pandemic. So are businesses that are Black-owned and women-owned. The Bank Street bookstore in Manhattan was founded and run by women. And after 40 years, one of the last sellers of children's books in New York City is closing.
5: I mean, we've been a cornerstone of the neighborhood since we've been here for almost 50 years. We have folks coming in who remember coming when they were a kid and now are bringing their children or people who live in the neighborhood who just had kids and are really sad that they won't be able to have their children grow up here.
0: At the start of the pandemic, there was a big government push to rescue small business from financial ruin. Billions of dollars were made available through the Paycheck Protection Program, but firms that borrowed largely ran out of money by October.
1: Margaret Anadu works at Goldman Sachs. Her job is investing in underserved communities. She says more than 40% of business owners had to lay off staff or cut jobs by November, and many said they wouldn't make it through the year.
2: And it goes beyond the business owners. There's also 52% of these small businesses that have foregone paying themselves, right? And it's not, it's not like we can isolate small businesses like there's some, you know, aspect of the economy that's off to the side. When you have small business owners who aren't paying themselves, that's struggled with your mortgage. That's a struggle with your rent. That's a struggle with how you pay for your health care. And so that impact on the economy, it's not a, it's not a future issue. That's where we are now.
0: And the real concern here is if that impact becomes permanent. Scott Minard at Guggenheim Investments thinks it will be
6: the PPP, which was a great program uh, as an emergency stopgap. Uh, you know, of course, is gone. So uh, you know, we're going to start seeing layoffs here, and structurally, you know, more than half of uh, Americans are employed by small to medium-sized business. Uh, a lot of those businesses are never coming back.
1: Some won't make it out of the pandemic, but many will, thanks to quick aid from the government back in March.
0: The Paycheck Protection Program gave more than 5 million companies a lifeline in the form of half a trillion dollars, and that cash helped Aaron Anker's granola company in northern Maine get back on its feet after the early days of the pandemic.
8: You know, you had to work with your local bank on that, or your bank, you know, whatever bank you used, and our local bank was phenomenal. So we just decided to go with what we knew. We furloughed about 16 people. And uh, as of now, we've brought almost all of them back. Uh, anybody that we could, we've brought back. So it was very exciting. And the PPP was very helpful in that.
1: At the same time, small business owners say PPP was also plagued by several hurdles. Some smaller firms found it difficult to even get a loan. We spoke with Brad Close, the president of the National Federation of Independent Business.
4: You know, we saw a very, very poor rollout back in April. Um, the big banks mostly uh, sent those loans to longtime customers, much larger businesses than a typical small business. You know, our average member is five to ten employees. that's very common for small businesses. We are talking true small businesses, the one you find in communities all across America. They struggled to get the banks to pay attention to them.
0: That frustration was rampant in the early days of the program. Jim Smythe applied for a PPP loan to help his advertising company in Irvington, New York.
8: We did a- And I think it's been well-documented how frustrating and difficult that experience has been. You know, the bank that we were using was really prioritizing their private clients and basically telling their relationship managers not to help to facilitate the loan process for their smaller clients that don't have, you know, a minimum of $10 million in active business. So we'll see what happens. I know everyone I know is really anxious about what's going to happen now with the next round but let's just say that nobody really has any confidence
1: when it comes to ppp loans more than 25 percent of the money went to just one percent of the borrowers those were mostly large firms seeking loans north of a million dollars
0: lots of people we spoke to had a tough time accessing the program small business owners like frank knapp described a wide range of hurdles Frank owns a firm in South Carolina and also heads up the Chamber of Commerce in the city of Columbia.
9: So, there's no doubt about it that the PPP loans were important, but you know, only 16% of all the small businesses in this country received a PPP loan out of the 30 million small businesses Uh, It's a paltry amount. The the people who were left out, the small business owners who were left out were sole proprietors, uh, they were micro-businesses, and a lot of those, probably the majority, were people of color uh, and women. Uh, They just didn't have the banking relationships to get uh, a loan approved, or they didn't have the resources uh, to go ahead and, and fill out the application appropriately, or maybe didn't even have the forms from the IRS to do it. So we've got major issues
1: here. It's true that Black-owned firms have been disproportionately hit, and so have Latino-owned firms. Wes Moore, CEO of the Robin Hood Foundation, has been working with corporations and donors to support those businesses.
4: It is a massive problem, and, and frankly, it was something that we had been calling out for a while, uh, and we even saw it when, when the proposed CARES Act, the initial CARES Act, was being pulled together, because people will say, well, there was a cash assistance element to the CARES Act. That's true. However, the cash assistance element to the CARES Act left out millions of people, and it left them out in tension. So for example, if you were undocumented, there was no cash assistance element to the CARES Act for you. If you were part of a mixed-status household. There was no cash assistance for you. If you were a student, even if you were working, there was no cash assistance element. If you were working but not making enough money to hit the income tax filing threshold, there was no cash assistance left for you.
0: And even those that did receive assistance ran into issues. Bloomberg reporter Sally Bakewell spoke to dozens of business owners describing red tape that was both timely and costly.
10: The business landscape in America is littered with stories like these. I spoke to the owner of a vinyl record store in Columbia, South Carolina, and he had got a 27,000 PPP loan, but he still had to dock his own salary to keep going. Um, Or there was the owner of a all-female boxing gym in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. She had her PP application handed straight back to her on the same day that she applied by the bank because they thought there was too much red tape. Um, and so she had to use her stimulus check to keep her business going. Um, I then spoke to a business owner in Colorado and she was setting up a sustainable goods business. Um, and because of COVID, she lost her one contract Uh, because it was with a school who wanted to buy some of her sustainable um, trades for their cafeterias. So she applied for PPP and she applied for another um, type of emergency assistance loan. She had both of her applications rejected. Um, She told me that one of them, at one point they told her they had lost her application um, and that she needed to submit her financial details again. And then when she went through all of that, there was no money left anyway she was told there are stories like that everywhere you know they did the they did the right thing they did what they could they couldn't get the money or they got the money they still couldn't catch a break
1: bank street bookstore in new york city was one of the many small businesses unable to access government aid Caitlin Morrissey owns the 50 year old bookstore, which started out in the lobby of Bank Street College.
5: Since we are attached to an educational institution, some of the relief that would have been available if we were a standalone small business, unfortunately, just wasn't available to us. So while we've operated fairly independently, we are under this umbrella. So it affected what kinds of aid we were applicable to get.
0: The troubles span the country and industries. Alex Cuton ran a travel agency in Indiana and described similar roadblocks accompanied by few answers.
3: As a uh, small business owner, you know, we're the last to get paid club. You know, we pay our rent, we pay our employees, we pay, you know, everything that we owe. And then if there's anything left at the end of the year, we get paid. And this year, I don't look to be making any money.
0: Now, have you applied for aid?
3: Uh, Yes. During the time that the CARES Act, uh, $10,000, you know, that we were led to believe that uh, we would receive, uh, we applied for that immediately. Did I get it? No. And then the PPP, whenever that program was announced and it came out, I applied immediately for that. And did I get it? No.
1: Restrictions tied to COVID-19 have shut small businesses across the country. Those that managed to stay afloat survived by tapping into government aid or by pivoting, finding creative ways to survive or even thrive in the face of the pandemic.
0: John Pepper is one of those small business owners. He runs a chain of eight modern Mexican restaurants in the Boston area, which he transformed to adapt to the outbreak. The financial district of Boston became a ghost town almost immediately. We closed those four restaurants on the 18th of
8: March. A week later, I put out a video essentially two days before I thought we had to close the rest of everything, saying instead of letting everybody know we had closed, I felt maybe I should let people know most likely we're going to close because I didn't see any avenue to stay open. Turns out that that video caused a you know, an outcry of support. We raised over $60,000. We basically pivoted into a nonprofit model for the last four weeks. We created this Feed the front line, which is now a very ubiquitous term, but we ended up just keeping the restaurants open to feed hospital workers throughout Boston and throughout New England. That's how we kept things going.
1: Kim Strasner's business in Baltimore also disappeared overnight. She made personalized cutting boards that were popular as party favors. No parties meant no business.
5: So what we did is we pivoted. We joined up with two other local Baltimore companies, a master seamstress, Jill Andrews, and Dan Jansen with Imperium Shaving. And we are making cotton masks. So we're using our laser engraver to cut the fabric. Uh, Jill Andrews, she designed the pattern. And that business is doing really well, as you can expect.
0: What is the difference in revenue from the traditional business to what you pivoted to now? Is that enough to sustain the business?
5: You know, my husband lost his job. So we you know, definitely as a household, our income, you know, is down. And, you know, we're trying to pay our employees a fair price and sell the masks for a fair price. We're not going to get rich off of this, (laughs) you know. It's just we saw a need. It's not something, you know, we're going to get rich off of.
0: Kim Strasner and John Pepper adapted to survive, but other entrepreneurs we spoke to made more dramatic changes that sometimes saw business more than double. Alex Carroll ran a tailgate events business, which ground to a halt when the NBA canceled its season, so he got creative. It was a sad moment.
3: Uh, I mean, I I won't lie. We spent a day kind of just laying around feeling sorry for ourselves, and and then we quickly realized, hey, what can we do to get our employees back? Because we had to furlough all of them. And so that's when we started to think, when events do come back, what are they going to need? We knew they were going to need hand sanitizer stations. And that's when we started brainstorming and trying to come up with, you know, fully customized hand sanitizer stations. It's been incredible to see all the different small businesses all over the country that'll go on the website, buy, you know, an automatic hand sanitizer dispenser package. They'll buy different types of sanitizer that we offer. They'll buy different types of stands. And they'll all customize it with their
0: logo. And with that pivot, business for Alex more than doubled.
1: Business ideas tied directly to the pandemic seem like an obvious shift, but some other less conventional ventures also saw big boosts during the outbreak. Paul Salak, for example, owns a flying school in Las Vegas.
11: Amazingly enough, we've been busier than we've ever been. Um, I think people that can afford you know private aircraft travel have now given themselves permission to get the license that they always wanted to get so that they can take their family and their associates on personal travel or on business travel as opposed to going in the airlines so we've we've actually seen quite the uptick in aircraft sales and people learning how to fly
0: it sounds like people want to avoid commercial travel altogether and just do it themselves and it's uh, they think it's exactly. safer that way
11: yeah instead of going through TSA and jumping in an airplane with the 150 people you don't know you get in an airplane with just those those loved ones or those associates, uh, and, and you can go, you know, point A to point B, direct to your meeting, and be home the same day. And it, it's always been available, but the cost of doing so has always been higher than the airline. But now, uh, people, you know, for their own personal safety and the, and those of their loved ones, um, I think they're giving themselves the the okay to go ahead with it.
0: While some pivots may be permitted, others are business owners just doing what they can to get through the crisis. Clayton Bishong runs Cantina Lobos in Pelham, New York. His restaurant, like many others, had a pivot to a delivery model. It kept his business afloat, but it's not sustainable. It's
7: basically just to stop the bleeding of cash. The perfect storm was that uh, state taxes were due last Friday, and we had to make the decision of, you know, do we hold on to that cash and take the fines um, later on so that we could stay open, or do we give them all that cash and only have a week's left instead of two weeks left of, of what we did? And we decided to take the fine and hold on to that to try to stay alive and pay that sales tax later. Luckily, the state's come down and said, as of now, you're not going to get fined for not paying sales tax. They bought us basically another week, week and a half.
2: The
0: hurdles are high for firms that owe back rent, back taxes, and loans from the government that were meant to keep them afloat. Government moratoriums on evictions and foreclosures are expiring in many states. The list of worries is long, and many storefronts now face fresh lockdowns until vaccines are widely distributed.
1: John Pepper in Boston made the best of a bad situation, using his modern Mexican restaurants to feed frontline workers. He took hundreds of thousands of dollars in PPP loans. But the road ahead for his business is still uncertain.
8: We kept people employed we helped them figure out how to apply for unemployment and we ensured as soon as we knew we had the PPP nobody will be left behind
0: you are grateful that you did get a loan through the small business administration but it comes yeah. with some stipulations that really make you think about the future of the business
8: yeah that's for sure how much of this 650,000 in our case which is a lot of money that just sounds like a windfall at first at a glance but how much of that will turn into a loan and will we be able to generate the cash flow necessary to pay it back in a short 18-month period once we have to start paying it. And that, by definition, if you do the math, is going to be almost impossible for most restaurant companies. If they don't go for full forgiveness, the amount left over as a loan will be a very challenging number to meet from a cash flow standpoint over the following 18 months.
1: The long-term damage to small business has led to frustration aimed at Capitol Hill, As lawmakers took many months to negotiate additional aid, more than 19 million Americans filed for unemployment.
0: Meantime, the stock market rallied to records, and the largest banks posted record results at some key businesses. Frank Knapp, a small business owner in South Carolina, is frustrated with the response from Washington.
9: They all know, they all know that small businesses need to be helped so that they can survive. Because like after the Great Recession, it was small businesses who created the majority of jobs to get the economy back on track, not big business. But yet all we're concerned about is Wall Street. Uh, we ought to be concerned about Main Street.
1: And ironically enough, Wall Street agrees. Scott Minard manages more than $200 billion for Guggenheim Investments.
6: What the policymakers are doing here is leaving themselves open to uh, another round of criticism, just like they got at the end of the financial crisis, which is, you know, the government programs were designed to bail out the big boys, but they left Main Street behind. You know, we have permanently done damage uh, to the job market, which uh, some other industry or future growth is going to have to correct for, and that's going to take a long time.
0: Key figures in Washington also agree, with Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell acknowledging the issue, and he sees more trouble ahead. There are just a lot of smaller businesses in their communities that will struggle to make it through this winter.
3: COVID is moving up, um, and uh, the, the cold weather people are staying in, and it's going
1: to be tough. There are also frustrations aimed at large corporations, especially tech companies like Amazon and Google, which have benefited from the shift to online commerce. A report from Visa found that more than 70 percent of shoppers use most of their cash at places like Amazon and Walmart, whose founders are billionaires and whose stocks have surged this year.
0: Meantime, many small businesses don't have the infrastructure to effectively sell online. Jeremy Stoppelman, the CEO of Yelp, is seeing this frustration firsthand. He also sees a wide divide in access to cheap debt.
9: Businesses need support, especially small businesses need support. And I think the initial stimulus package was a positive. And, you know, we've been all waiting and hoping for another one. And I think, you know, we shouldn't just have socialism for big companies where they can borrow endlessly uh, with cheap debt from, a, you know, powered by the Fed. We, we should extend the helping hand to all these great small business owners that are just trying to get by.
1: Survey data from the Federal Reserve shows that lending standards to small and medium-sized businesses are challenged. Bloomberg's Sally Bakewell spoke with bankers across the industry to find out why. It all comes down to one simple reason, risk.
10: No one wants to lend to a business that really you have no guarantee that it will exist in 12 months. So their concern was taking on all of this risk. And I think that is why we saw at the beginning of programs like the Paycheck Protection Program, that a lot of it went to the bigger, more sturdy, more well-established clients, um, which meant that, of course, again, the smaller ones were shut out.
1: Troubles for small business owners have ripple effects that hit all parts of the economy. If small firms don't survive, economists say workers could stay unemployed longer.
0: And right now, small business is struggling to keep staff on board. A November survey from Goldman Sachs found at least two in five were laying off staff or cutting employee pay. Ramona Martin used her life savings to build and renovate a 34-lane bowling alley in Brooklyn. She's open now but operating at limited capacity to keep customers safe.
5: And it's sad because we just don't know how long we might be able to stay afloat. Uh, we have um, a lot of obligations and a lot of catching up to do.
0: Have you applied for or received any uh, government aid? and What's that process well, been like? Well, we
5: have the PPP, which allows us to hire our employees back. But, of course, with the type of rent that we're paying, Um, it does not cover at all. I mean, we have our life savings in this place and we've improved it so much. And, you know, with the video wall and the lighting, and it's just sad to see if we possibly have to give it up and close our doors for good.
1: That Goldman Sachs survey we mentioned earlier also found more than half of small business owners have stopped paying themselves. And more than a third are dipping into personal savings to stay afloat.
0: That was the case for Amy Wilson when we spoke to her. She owns an event space in Atlanta, Georgia. Revenue was plunging this summer during what normally would be her busiest months.
5: We pay an average of $10,000 a month for our expenses,
8: including insurance and rent and water and internet. So we pay almost $10,000 a month no matter what. And our biggest months are this summer because we have summer camps. And the lovely thing about us is we hire school teachers and art teachers. So it gives teachers and educators a great side hustle to work a couple weeks and everybody's going to be out of work and I'm just going to be deeper in debt, sadly.
1: Rent forgiveness for business owners has become an untenable issue as they're locked into leases while suffering significant sales declines. Frank Vellucci of Sweet Catch Poke in New York saw sales plunge about 80 percent.
3: You know, we were able to get some of the PPP money that has run out. And then I took out some of the small business emergency loans. You know, eventually that's going to run out as well until Things get back to normal, or whatever that new normal is going to be. Businesses are going to be hard pressed to continue, and it's a it's a struggle. I mean, I'm going to have to. You know, I negotiated with four of my five landlords, which looked like a good deal at the time, but now they're probably they're not workable.
0: Is there a firm date by which you have to make some tough decisions?
3: You know, I think if landlords are willing to work with me, I can last longer. But if they're going to insist on a set rent based on previous, you know, pre-COVID numbers, then you know, I'm out of business.
1: As businesses suffer, so do the local economies of the cities and towns where they operate. Brad Close is president of the National Federation of Independent Business.
4: When you look at the small business economy in America, it's the third largest economy taken by itself in the whole world. We've created half the GDP for the country and almost half the new private sector jobs.
0: That's a very large swath of the total U.S. economy and has the ability to impact large and small firms in every industry. Margaret Anadu runs the Urban Investment Group at Goldman Sachs.
2: A full 40 percent of small businesses do not think they're going to survive. And that is that's the highest number we've seen since April. So businesses have You know, they've expressed all of the creativity that they can. They've moved online. They've tried different strategies about revenue. But at the end of the day, without
1: additional support, many won't survive. And these small businesses are interconnected. Take James Lowe. He runs the Baltimore School of Music with 15 employees. Group classes were canceled because of COVID-19, and people were less interested in virtual lessons his firm was classified as an essential service because schools in the area didn't provide music lessons. Yet his service was expendable when the pandemic hit.
5: In Baltimore, it can be kind of tricky because
8: a lot of our public schools do not have music programs. So we do provide some essential services.
3: We've also had a lot of our
8: students who have been facing their own economic challenges that have had to pull back on any extra spending in their life. So we've had people that have been furloughed or have lost their jobs that have had to cancel their music lessons because of that as well. And we did apply for PPP and we were able to get that. So we've got a bit of a cushion. The problem for us is we don't know how long this is gonna go for.
0: There are wide concerns that the pain among small businesses could create permanent damage to the economy even once the pandemic passes. Brad Close at the NFIB says it could also scar communities that see downtown neighborhoods forever changed. It is something that's very important. It's in all of our communities. When you look at the businesses out there that
4: are supporting local communities, sponsoring the Little League, the high school marching band, doing the charity drives, it's all local small businesses. And that, who, that's who is bearing the kind of the brunt of this uh, these economic shutdowns and the COVID pandemic right now at the business level. So they definitely need help. We want to see more open, but we want to see them stay open first mm-hmm. and foremost.
1: Small businesses need more money to survive. And until vaccines are distributed widely, we risk losing more of the mom and pop firms that form the backbone of the economy.
0: But until then, business owners are staying resilient, pivoting, adapting, and reimagining, using every lever they have to stay afloat. This is a Bloomberg Radio special report looking at the pandemic's outsized impact on small business.
1: If you joined us late, catch the full show online as a podcast, available on the Bloomberg Surveillance and Bloomberg Business Week feeds on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Shanali Basik.
0: I'm John Tucker, and this is Bloomberg.